Friends, we are continuing our study on generosity by looking at the 10th chapter of Mark's gospel, verses 17 through 31. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. And you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And the man said to him, Teacher, I have kept all of these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the man heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Well, the disciples were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals, it is impossible. For God, all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother, or father, or children, or fields, for my sake and for the sake of the good news, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children, and fields with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first." Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Lord, we know that you alone have the words for eternal life. And so we pray that the words that are spoken during this sermon are only of you. And we pray that the words that work themselves into our ears and our hearts and minds would be only of you. May we be transformed this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Many years ago, my friend Pam interviewed for the job as senior pastor at Trinity Presbyterian. I don't know if you remember Pam, but she preached at my installation. She's just a very dear friend of mine. And that church in Atlanta, in the heart of Buckhead, is by all accounts a very wealthy church. It just is. And so at one point during the lengthy interview process and one of the times they met, this man who was on the search committee said to her, listen, I'll be honest with you. 
I've made a lot of money in my life. And part of it's because I've had a lot of privilege. And part of it's because I have worked really hard. And I'm not interested in apologizing for the work that I've done. But I am very interested in having a pastor who can tell me what to do with this wealth for the glory of God's kingdom. And Pam said that was the moment when she knew that she may not look like them and she may not dress like them, but they all had a heart for Jesus Christ and she was going to be just fine in that big fancy church in Atlanta. Isn't it so simple to denigrate those who have wealth? And I want to point out that anyone sitting in this room is considered wealthy by 99% of the world. I mean, that's just the, the bottom line. You may compare yourself to those who have more and consider yourself to be middle class. Isn't that what we always say? But the truth is that if we're talking about wealthy people, I think we're probably talking about ourselves. And it sounds like Jesus is denigrating people who are wealthy in this passage. And I don't think that's the case. In the first place, Jesus looks at the rich man and loves him. Do not forget that Jesus knows that man completely and loves him. But there are a couple of other things I want us to think about so that we can maybe understand this passage in a deeper way. First, this is from Mark's gospel. Now, I don't know what you remember about Mark's gospel, but it was the first gospel who was, that was written and it was written roughly 70 years after Jesus' death. But more importantly, Mark's gospel was written about 10 years after the Jewish rebellion. Now, these folks in the early church, they were still very tied to the Jewish community and to the Roman Empire. They were really considered Jews. And so there was a Jewish uprising, and the Romans slaughtered them. And not only that, but they went to the temple and tore it all down. And so when Mark is writing his gospel, the question that is on his heart and mind is, is there any good news? Have you felt that way? Have you come and slid into a pew and thought, is there any good news? Actually, Mark starts his gospel by saying the good news of Jesus Christ. Our good news is always found in the person of Jesus Christ. So another question to look at is what is being said immediately before this passage. Before this passage, Jesus says, let the little children come to me, which his disciples are not really excited about. Children should not be a part of this. And Jesus says, let the little children come to me. They really show us what the kingdom is like. And then we come to this passage. And the rich man says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know what he means. What must I do to get to be a part of a kingdom? Or maybe the kid's Bible said it best. What do I have to do to get God to love me forever? That's the question that this man wonders about. And so he comes up and he says, good teacher. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Jesus is saying, are you coming to see someone you think is just a teacher? Are you coming to see someone that you know is divine and has those words of eternal life? 
And the rich man says, I have done everything. And I will tell you, I imagine he says it with pride. You know why? Because I'd say it with pride. You know, I followed all the commandments. I followed all the rules. So proud. And Jesus says, great. One more thing you need to do. Go and sell everything and then come and follow me. You see, the issue isn't the things. The issue is the condition of the man's heart. And he knows that he can't let go of those things. Those things, that wealth and those accumulations, they mean security. They mean that he will feel safe. Isn't that why we gather wealth, right? Because it makes us feel safe. And he knows he's not willing to give it away even a little bit. And so he walks away dejected. And so when Jesus says how hard it is to get into the kingdom of heaven, what he means is how hard it is for those of us who really want to rely on things instead of on Christ. How hard it is for those who are tight-fisted with what we have instead of sharing generously how hard it is for us to truly follow Jesus Christ. It's all just about idols, really. And then Peter pipes up, Peter, who I imagine is very proud too. Well, I mean, we gave up everything and we're following you. And Jesus says to him, Peter, don't pretend like you're getting nothing out of this. Following me has its own reward. It has the reward of family and of community and even of eternal life. We can talk about wealth, and I think there's something to be said for thinking of how we are good stewards for what we have. It's a conversation we should be having every time the offering plate goes around. It's a reminder that what we have has been given to us and we are called to give to others. But this passage is also about the idea that not a darn one of us can save ourselves. Not a darn one of us can find the way to eternal life on our own. Maybe it's that I have too much stuff and I'm not following Jesus closely. Maybe it's that I have nothing and I'm still not following Jesus closely. Into all of our brokenness... God comes and says, I know you, and with me all things are possible, so I'm going to redeem you through nothing we have done. And so when I think about this passage, I think about the fact that God knows us completely, and all God asks is that we believe in him and order our lives where everything comes after that. And I don't know about you, but I mess that one up all the time. And good news, God forgives us still and calls us to be God's people. I feel like every sermon is supposed to end with some big job I've got for you to do to go out into the world. And I think when I read this passage, what I really believe is that God sees us and loves us. God sees us in the difficulty and in the blessedness and everything in between and loves us still. And I think until I can bring all my brokenness to God, I'm not very good at loving others who are broken, and that's everyone. And so this passage is calling us to take all that we have and all that we are and lay it at the feet of Jesus Christ 
You know why? Because then Jesus will see you and love you and welcome you into the kingdom. He's already done the work. We're just welcomed. And I think nowhere has this been more beautifully written about than by a young woman named Jane Marzewski. She was on one of those talent shows, America's Got Talent. She's a singer. She sings under the name Nightbird. And Jane is very young and has had a very aggressive kind of cancer that's come back three times. And she wrote this. I'm going to read part of it to you and then I'm going to email it to you tomorrow because it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever read. She says, I have had cancer three times now and I've barely passed 30. There are times when I wonder what I must have done to deserve such a story. I fear sometimes that when I die and I meet with God, that he will say I disappointed him or offended him or failed him. Maybe he'll say I just never learned the lesson or that I wasn't grateful enough. But one thing I know for sure is this. He can never say that he did not know me. Because I am God's downstairs neighbor banging on the ceiling with a broomstick. I show up at his door every day, sometimes with songs, sometimes with curses, sometimes apologies, gifts, questions, demands. Sometimes I use my key that's hidden under the mat to let myself in. Other times I just sulk outside the door until God opens the door God's self. I have called God a cheat and a liar, and I meant it. I have told him I wanted to die, and I meant it. Tears at one point have become the only prayer that I know. Prayers roll over my nostrils and they drip down onto my forearms. They fall to the ground as I reach for God. And those are the prayers I repeat night and day, sunrise and sunset. So call me bitter if you want to, that's fair. Count me among the angry, the cynical, the offended, the hardened. But also count me among the friends of God. For I have seen God in rare form. I have felt his breath upon me. I have laid in his shadow. And I have squinted to read the message he wrote on the bathroom floor that said, I'm sad too. God knows me completely and loves me still. God is on the bathroom floor is what she titled this. God is with us when our bodies are broken and we're curled on the bathroom floor. And God is with us when we come into church thinking we've got it all together. God is with us at all times, and not only with us, but for us. And so maybe I do have an exhortation for you. May you bring all of yourself to God each day over and over. May you come to the end of your life and say, God knows me. And then may you go out and offer the same to others, knowing that we are all broken, that none of us can be saved not even the wealthy, not without God's help. 
Amen.